0: Running a small business can be tough. I mean, you're not just the CEO, you're also the marketing, the finance manager and everything else in between. Technology, however, and digital tools can play a big part in taking on some of these tasks, giving you that much needed headspace to focus on running your business. But it's hard to know where to start, which tools are right for you, how do you go about integrating them and when is the right time to make the investment. Mastercard's Strive UK programme has been set up to make it easy for small business owners to access the support needed to digitise, whether that's incorporating accountancy tools or new digital payment methods. Through free guidance, helpful tools and personalised one-to-one mentoring, Strive is empowering small business owners across the UK to succeed. For more on how Strive UK could help your business, visit mastercard.co.uk slash drive OK, here's a show It took until I was 37 yes, 37 to realise one thing I was a misfit Before then, I'd always felt kind of out of step with the world At school, you know, when everyone was towing the line and wanting to achieve high academic results I actually didn't care about that and I was the naughty one. As a teenager, I lost both my parents at a time when I didn't know any other orphans. My first marriage broke down as friends were happily celebrating anniversaries, and then I fell in love with a woman. All the while, I was working in the corporate environment, competing with alpha men to get to the top of the system. And When I realised I'd never really truly fit into this, that it really just didn't work with me deeply inside. I left and I decided to start my own business. All of this taught me one thing. My feeling of being out of step wasn't the weakness that I thought it was for years. It was in fact my superpower. Misfits understand this in their bones and some are born knowing this, but others are reshaped by experience. They see, as the great Leonard Cohen sings in Anthem, that there is a crack in everything, because that is how the light gets in. Misfits take the cracks and expand them. They're outliers, forward thinkers, willing to break new ground by realizing their own unique vision, their own unique truth. They're innovators and creators in business, science, the arts, actually more so in life. What misfits all share, however, is the instinctive knowledge that the system that we live in today is broken and the old ways are just no longer fit for purpose. The pursuit of profit, the faster, the quicker, the bigger, the pursuit of how much stuff that we can all have that says something about where I am in society, we all know has reduced us, confined us, is killing our planet, is affecting humanity. And misfits want to create something more beautiful. We want to create a better world. And so do I. Over the decades, I've learned that it wasn't just that I didn't fit the system. I wanted to change it too. And I found other beautiful misfits along the way who do as well. It might be the immediate world around them, but it could be on a far larger scale. But deep down, All misfits share the instinct that not only is the accepted way of doing things broken, but they have hope that change can be created. And it can be. We are at a tipping point. The world we live in now was unimaginable even a few years ago, but we can either run scared or we can use this rare moment of incredible flux to recreate and embrace a new way of being. The misfits, the beautiful misfits, will guide us in the right direction. This is their time. This is your time. Join us. I've known my guest today for, wait for it, oh gosh, deep breath, almost, yes, 40 years. She's been called the most influential woman in fashion, and we met starting out at Topshop, two of us in our 20s. She went on to put Topshop at the beating heart of cultural relevance in a way no high street brand has ever been before. Then she walked away from it all, and ultimately Topshop, well... It never went back to those heydays. She is, of course, Jane Shepherdson. Since then, Jane has reinvented whistles, worked with Oxfam and is now chair of the fashion rental platform My Wardrobe HQ. And the reason I'm talking to her today is because I think we share something really important. In the numbers game that is high street fashion, an industry dominated by men at the top, we defied all that. We were female. And we were driven by not money, not growth, but by creative instinct. In fact, we built careers because of it. So how did we do it? What did it cost us? And of course, would we do anything differently?
1: Hello, Mary. God, we've known each other for way too long. Well, I
0: was just thinking that. When did we first meet, do you think?
1: When did you start? I think I started at Topshop in 1983. Three or four. Oh, you, were you straight from university then? Yes. Okay, no, I didn't go in until 1986 oh, 85. Oh, really? It, maybe okay. 85. Yeah, I remember Topshop 1985 very well indeed. Right, so where were you? Paint the picture. Where were you in 1985? Okay, so in 1985, I think I was probably a very lowly assistant buyer. All of the buyers at the time were very, very well-groomed. They were very smart ladies. I felt they were a kind of different breed to me. I felt like the rather scruffy child, you know, that has sort of got her foot in the door. And I was already, I think, a little bit anti-authority, which kind of I've always been. And I think when I met you, we kind of hit it off in a way (laughs) because we were both kind of quite naughty and uh, a bit anti-authority and always having a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I I think that was... We we kind of recognised each other, I think. It's really true, because
0: I remember I used to come up to the buying floor. So I'll paint the picture. I was down in the basement. I wasn't in the glamorous (laughs) buying office. Let's get this right. So I was down in the basement as display manager, and I had my little crew call out to the Mandy Tillett, Claire Bjorkrand, Carrot. They were just amazing. Across from me was the warehouse, you know, the goods outwards. So you'd occasionally come down to check some stock there. And I remember chatting with you and thinking, oh, she's just got such a great energy.
1: And I remember coming up and seeing you on the buying floor. You were an assistant then. You weren't the buyer, were you? No, I wasn't the buyer. Who was the buyer? Well, originally it was Lynette Robertson, who was the underwear buyer, who was just terribly... She used to sort of float around as if she was a hovercraft. You know, heart barely moving, <laughs> not a hair out of place, but very, very sharp. You yeah, know, you didn't want to do anything wrong. At all. There was that, because
0: I, I was at Harrods before, and I remember the buying director of the weigh-in floor it was scary. These women were scary, weren't they? Oh, they really were. And they it was all about the look, the image, and the outside, wasn't it? And... We were slightly outside of that. We were these naughty
1: little. Totally. And I think at the time, weird that this seems, I think actually Topshop was part of a group with Harvey Nichols. Yeah, it was. It was the Burton group. That's Harvey what... Nichols, they owned Harvey yeah. Nichols. Yeah. And all of these wonderfully groomed buyers were head to toe Harvey Nichols. And of course, I was head to toe Topshop because, yeah. you know, yeah. I certainly couldn't afford Harvey Nichols. And also, I kind of thought, I don't really want Harvey Nichols. Yet. No. You know, it was totally old. old. It was
0: it, totally old because when I got then moved across for come back to that i went over then to harvey nichols and i remember thinking i don't want to be here it was where all duchesses in knightsbridge come in and have a schooner of sherry and a buy a little silk scarf from chanel this ain't me uh, yes. i remember turning up it was the time of the um really bright what was it called when we used to wear it, it was like banana rama time the hair was sticking up i'm trying yes. to think of the yes. fashion name for it yes. do you remember the fresh and socks and yeah i turned Combat up, trousers combat and and tr- little vests yes I turned up to Harvey Next for the interview. That I'm sure they thought, "What the hell is this?" And I remember the buying director, and she was dressed head to toe in Montana, Claude Montana, one of the most expensive. Oh. So there we were in these worlds. The thing was, though, so I was quite a little working class girl. You weren't, there. You were. Yeah, well,
1: I was. My parents were academics.
0: I know, but that's what I suppose. I wanted to get to that, and I'm going yes. to come back to sort you. Your father was a mathematician, and your mother was a biochemist. How yes. the hell did you end up in fashion?
1: I honestly don't know. My whole family's academic. My sister was academic. My brother did a PhD. I just wasn't. You know, at school, I would get by. Everyone used to say, oh, well, if she tried, she could do really well. And my mother used to say, oh, how do you know? maybe you couldn't. She was really mean to me then. Um, But studying just wasn't my thing at all. And at the time, I kind of thought, well, you know, what what am I going to do? I'm sure sure I'll find something. Mm. And and it was actually one of my mother's students became a buyer, a chemistry student became a buyer and told her about it. And she came home and told me about it. I thought, actually, that sounds great. I could do that. You know, I don't have to be a designer. And I knew I couldn't be a designer. I wasn't good enough. Um, But I wanted to be involved somehow in that world. And that's seemed to me to be the perfect sort of balance for me
0: so were you because I was always one with the new haircut and the latest gear trying to make the convent outfit look a bit better than it was were you that as well were you into fashion totally yeah
1: yeah always turning my skirts up always yeah. trying to get away with platforms if I could do you know completely okay so you end up there so let's
0: go back so you come into Topshop Talk me through your trajectory because you came in and then you ended up... What was your title in the end at Topshop?
1: I was the brand director. But weren't you the head of Topshop? Well, yeah, Yeah. so the brand director at the time was responsible really for everything that the customer sees, so marketing, retail... The product, the clothes. Everything. uh, Everything. So it's like the creative director. It is, it is, apart from the logistics. Well, yeah, we were in charge of the logistics, but that wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. See, Topshop wasn't very sexy when we joined, was it? Oh, Miss Selfridge was a sexy one, wasn't it? No, it was awful. Topshop was pretty bad. Pastel striped T-shirts with really (laughs) naff slogans is what I remember. Yeah, and I only would
0: buy from some of the concessions that were a bit cool. I'd never buy the Topshop stuff. I know that we were working there getting a big discount. Oh, no, no, it was really bad. It was bad. It was right. So Miss Selfridge was the cool one, wasn't it? Yeah. And then there was Chelsea Girl, which was always a bit
1: yeah, down ne- and dirty. Never really fancied
0: Chelsea Never. Fa- girl, no. They rebranded quite well. Did yeah, they a good, did a very good, good job, job yeah. on River yeah. Island. So just talk me through how you then, you know, you worked through it because eventually you get to the top.
1: Yeah it's strange because when I started I really felt like I was never going to be a buyer because they were to- like a different breed a different species but I sort of you know just kept working hard eventually got promoted to the jersey department or something yeah. which was the biggest department because it's yeah. all of the t-shirts and stuff and I stopped doing what we had been doing and I just started we just started bringing in collections that ranges that we ourselves wanted that we thought were really cool and the more that we brought them in the more they sold, you know, and it yeah. was it was almost a surprise to us. We were like, wow, this is working, this is great. So our department became incredibly successful. So I was then looked upon with a little bit more respect than I had been before. You know, God, she seems to know something's going on here. And what it was, and what I put it down to is that... These sort of other beings, these sort of buyers that were floating around wearing Harvey Nichols were quite disrespectful to the customer. They would sort of hold things up and say, well, I think she'll like this. Whereas I felt I was the customer and I also thought, I'm going to give the customer the best thing she's ever had. She's gonna absolutely love this. And to me, that was the pride in it. And I think it kind of worked. So my so whole team felt the same way. You know, so we weren't looking at getting the highest margins or anything like that. We just wanted to have the best product ever.
0: I'm just gonna stop them there because that just to me, this was your absolute creative instinct. This was you actually being the person, the customer. This was you going, I love that. They're going to love that. I know anybody listening will be thinking, but this was fashion, it was the 80s, it was top shop. No, the power in those businesses at the time were these absolutely sophisticated women buying Harvey Nichols. And actually, I remember Whistles. A lot of people bought whistles. Yes, they did. And that was expensive for us. We were young kids. I couldn't afford whistles. And all of them didn't wear Topshop. They'd look down their nose at it. And this is really important to remember. So you said, actually, I am this customer. So you'd have been in your late 20s now. Yes, yes. I am at this and I am going to dress that. Yes. Massively different. Creative force at the heart of it. So then you go on and obviously your numbers count. We're in the business of profit and growth. And they go, oh, she's good. She's good, right? So you then get to the top.
1: Yes. And again, it was all about... I want to be proud of what I'm doing. I want to be proud of what I've got in my stores. And it was a constant feeling of doing that, I think. The higher I got, obviously, the more control I then began to have. I think at one point they said, when they made me buying director, they said, well, we think this is very risky because previously I'd been almost like a sort of Arthur Scargill-type character, getting all the buyers together and telling the management, no, we're not doing that. So I think they were sort of slightly worried, but they also thought, oh, God, well, maybe she does know what she's doing. I don't know. And, and so as I've sort of built a, a bigger and bigger team, i brought in people who felt the same way that I did, who wanted to create something that was amazing, that was different. For those people that couldn't afford designer clothes, we wanted to make them feel as special, which led, of course, to designer collaborations. Um... I'm going to get on to that because I love Sorry. this. So I know, no, no <laughs> it's just
0: so exciting because, I, I, you know, we've travelled this journey and I remember watching from far, thinking wow, this is fantastic. And then coming in and buying, so that's how much. So let, <laughs> let, let's get to this. So you go off, you're the buying director and it's working and at the end of it, I guess the power that be you were talking to were men. Yes, yeah, of, course. of course. Of course, saying, well, you know, we're taking a bit of a risk mm-hmm. on you here, Jane. Yeah. Taking a bit of a risk. But they're looking at the numbers and they go, well, let's take the risk because look, this is delivering. And then you head it up because I think... When I left, you know, I was doing crazy windows, which I loved. But it was still seen as Topshop was the sort of slightly, you didn't, you know, didn't boast about wearing it. We've talked about that. By the time you're in the seat as heading this up, this becomes a place where not only 20-somethings, but 30-somethings and 40-somethings, and sometimes 50-somethings were coming in and buying their clothes because it was just this wonderful, brilliant, on-the-pulse brand. Tell me what you did to get there. One of the things that all my team talked about, we loved it because we went in and she was the first to do bikinis as separates because you (laughs) might have a size 10 bottom, but you've got a size 14 around your boobs. (laughs) Jane did it. Jane did it.
1: But that part of that is just because it's a woman doing it. You know, we all know that your top half is never going to be the same size as your bottom half. But, you know, that doesn't add up in terms of as a strategy or whatever for a man who's doing it. So... So much of it, so much of it was down to the fact that we were a group of people who felt that we were our own customers. And we were, and we were... But you built them. They became your people yes. that you brought in and said, Ex- understand this.
0: I don't want you being swanning off and buying from whatever designer. You're part of this tribe that I'm Absolutely. creating. Absolutely.
1: So the designers that we brought in were people that would have perhaps had their own collections, but they decided to, to come to Topshop was cooler to do that. So, And then we started to say... Well, hang on a minute. We were being accused of plagiarism and, you know, we were just copying the catwalk and all this sort of stuff. And we thought, no, we're not. We were better than that. We were original. Yeah. So then we started to do our own collections. We started eventually to show at Fashion Week. Prior to that, we wanted also to give back to that, that whole industry. So we started to sponsor New Gen and we started to, to sponsor these. Oh, these...
0: She, she runs too fast because I'm going to put you back In No <laughs> high street fashion chain did catwalk. No, no. Right. Now, I launched a new generation when I was at Harvey Nichols with all new designers because the Harvey Nichols London Fashion Collection was all very established designers and the young weren't getting a a catwalk. I left Harvey Nichols and I don't know quite what happened after that. Then obviously, I think London Fashion Week held on to new gen. You then took it one step further and said, I'll get behind there, but I'm going to take these young designers and I'm going to make collections with them that then go into this high street chain, right? Am I right on that? Very much so, That yes. is a first. No yes. one, and people would fight to get tickets and see
1: if they could get into your shows. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the very first collaboration that we did was with the late Joe Cosley hayford Fantastic. Brilliant guy, brilliant guy. It's so easy to work with, So just so much fun. And at the time, it was a big risk for him because, you know, Topshaw wasn't seen as... Uh, still no. wasn't really seen as being on the same level as these sort of designers. You had to break the image. You had to break the image to- before the designers came Totally, yeah. totally. So after him, we became more credible, I suppose. And I think I got the biggest rushes from times like the first... Show that we did at London Fashion Week. We had a front row lined with journalists. It just felt like, yeah, tick. Yeah. We can yeah. do this. So I've got a real, a real rush. And also smaller things like people saying how that when we introduced this thing where, whereby we would send style advisors to your home with loads of clothes so you could try stuff on. And, and people would come back just saying that it was the best day of their lives and they just absolutely loved it. It was just so wonderful. They wanted their friends around. It was just kind of really kept you going. It just fuels you, doesn't it? Yes. think
0: incredible. So they're called the next thing comes, the next thing comes, the next
1: thing comes. Next absolutely. Thing comes. And yes, we worked with New Gen and we said to all of the young designers, yeah, well, not all of them, but said to the ones that that wanted to and we felt were appropriate, why don't you do a collection with us? You know, you can do a collection with us, we'll support your shows. And we sort of started this sort of mutual, beneficial relationship, I suppose, with all these young, up-and-coming, extremely exciting designers. And as you say, we'd gone from that stage of there being very, very few people coming through to London being a hotbed of the best design talent, which yeah, was so incredible. This is all
0: the 90s and it was beautiful yeah. and pumping and we were sort of proudly British oh. and it was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, cool
1: Britannia, wasn't it? It was
0: just gorgeous. <laughs> but the other thing that you did, and, and it, like, you had your tribe, and I think of this organic tribe that evolved with Jane, you know, who are going against the system. Because I think everybody thinks that fashion, what they see, is what faces like yours, are, that behind the scenes it's like that. But this was run by men, you had big corporations, but you're growing this tribe of like-minded, many women, I'm sure there were guys in there as well who joined at some point, who were like, no, we are going to do the best fashion at the right price and we're going to bring in designers and we're going to make this even sexier. And then you brought in other people, if I remember, some from Vogue as well to be your team because most people from Vogue would not have joined a high street brand. So talk about that. You you grew your team.
1: I mean, again, none of the high street advertised in Vogue because Vogue wouldn't allow it. Exactly. You know, they just wouldn't. So we brought in Ronnie Cook Newhouse, who was an incredible... Art director. She did a lot of work with Calvin Klein, and I think that was what made Calvin Klein famous. She was also married to Johnson Newhouse. She who was owned. Who owned Vogue? Yes. Condé
0: Nast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, good. Yeah. Well, what a good call, Jane. What a good call. I'll go in and get her in. Like the top of the top. So no one's going to ignore Ronnie when she says to the Vogue team, Oi, get your butt yeah. down to Topshop and work with Jane Shepperson. Totally,
1: totally. <laughs> I can't take credit for all these ideas. My incredible marketing director, Joe Farrelly, just would always say to because, right, our mission is to be the global fashion brand. That's where we're going. And we would keep that in mind all the time. She would say, right, we've got to go for the top. We've got to go for the top. So, Brilliant. you know, we would always go for the Brilliant. best photographers, Brilliant. the best models, the best that we could afford, you know, because we didn't have, still didn't have huge budgets at the time. Oh, it was
0: just wonderful. And I remember, like, so you, and there was another piece that, that you designed. I mean, there was so much that we could go around, but... The vest, what was the vest that, that took? You know, come on, the millions that you brought into that business.
1: <laughs> the Kate Moss vest. Which every did you call it the Kate Moss vest? We, we did call it the Kate Moss <laughs> vest. Cause we said, right, OK, let's design a vest that Kate Moss will wear. You yeah. Know? Because at the time, yeah. she was the coolest person around. So um, if she will wear it, then it will be amazing. She did wear it. Uh, as did, I don't know, zillions of other people. And it was a huge success. It was extremely profitable. You know, so it was one of those things you couldn't ignore, really. It was like, I've got to have one. I've got to have a a Kate Moss first. When you went
0: in as brand director, talk to me about profits and, and what you grew it to.
1: Well, when I started there at, as as brand director, we I think it was making something like ten million profit, which was not a huge amount of money for a, a business that size. And when I left, it was making a hundred million, so we increased it tenfold. You um, didn't have any shares or anything like that. I had options within yeah, the yeah. the total business, so yeah, I did. I did okay. Yeah, but you yeah. didn't get a yacht. I didn't get a yacht. No. <laughs> I was thinking back even to those early days,
0: you know and what we accepted from a lot of the structure and the power that was there. And I, I was thinking, I remember some of the very senior directors, the male directors, were often shagging a lot of the young women that were in that business, and yet we didn't... I I personally didn't. You just oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's on to the next one now. And I didn't think anything of it other than that was what was expected.
1: Well, I, I, I totally agree, yeah. I mean, I I remember an office party that we had, and I think it was at somewhere like Stocks. And I remember having to put a chair up against my door when I, because we were staying the night there, um, because one of the directors was trying to get in, Mm. you know. And I just thought, I I really don't want this. And he was, but the next morning over breakfast, and he was quite kind of put out (laughs) that I rejected his advances (laughs) because it was just the norm. And you'd have said to them,
0: oh, God, he was knocking at the door trying to get in last night. I mean, like, literally when we think about this. Yes. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm trying to think, how old were you then in your 20s? Oh, I don't know, 30 maybe. Yeah. And that was being done, though, to lots of the young oh, women, yes. assistant buyers. Yes. And all the sort of people in human resources who were invariably the women knew all this. It yes. was just an accepted well, yes. way, wasn't it?
1: The worst offender at the time, I won't mention his name, clearly had taken that job because it gave him access to all these wonderful, beautiful, smart, clever women. But
0: is it that different now?
1: That's what I'm not sure about. I,
0: I don't know whether it is, but I do know, and I think I know, that young women, I have a daughter who's 25, and I think she would know to just say, this has happened to me. And I think we just wouldn't have dreamt of that. That's the difference.
1: Yes, Yes,
0: I think you're probably right. Or going to another team member who was more senior. Like, if you, she was the assistant buyer, I imagine she would go to the buyer and say, God, this happened to me last night, and maybe that buyer would be able to go, ah, this is unacceptable. I'm sure it is still happening, yes. of course. I mean, it was crazy. Because, but it was just so prolific. It was so part of the culture. And, and I just look back now and I feel a bit shivery about it and think, what were we doing
1: accepting yes. that? Yes. I totally agree with you because... It was going on. I felt that I could handle it yes. myself. Yes, same here. But I, I now look back and I think I'm sure there's a lot of people who couldn't handle yes. it. And what did I do for them? Yeah. You know, when I was in a position of they were my team, I looked after them. I almost put like a sort of like a dome above our team and, and wouldn't let anybody in. I wouldn't let anyone get close to them. But prior to that, I mean, yes, it was rife. It really was. On that, and you were fiercely protective
0: of them because they were your team that were with you on this creative mission to make fashion on the high street just wonderful for young women who couldn't afford, you know, the designer stuff. And, And you did break through that incredibly. It's now sold. The Burton Group gets sold and it gets sold to Philip Green and he comes in. Just describe what it was like then, because this is your new boss.
1: It was just an awful moment. I honestly, we were all of us sitting there, just head shocking. in hands, looking at each other, going, Is this for real? Seriously? Have we just been bought by this man? Yeah. Because his reputation was or, shocking. You know, out there, sh- shocking. Just yes. shocking. He had a reputation that, because I think at the, he, he already owned British home stores yeah. at the time. And, and we had heard stories of him saying to buyers, Get your fat ass over here. I'm going to throw you out of the fucking window. Beautiful. And let's talk
0: about his ass while we're on there. (laughs) I mean, like, shocking. And they put up with that. Yes. Because, again, so we're talking about, you know, harassment, bullying, and I don't know how you look back on it, but sometimes I look and I go, where did I actually put me? Where did I put my little soul? And I look at that 20-something or other, you know, not... Today, now yes. I just go go sit on a proverbial rusty nail, mate, and walk away. But there are still young women today that will be within that culture, and it is it, we still need to have voices that breaks this down.
1: We, we absolutely do. We absolutely do.
0: So he was he Sir Philip by then.
1: I know. I think he was just. He
0: was just Philip. Philip. Yeah. So Philip comes in just just. And I'm going to say, um, I'm going to quote what you said. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no question he was a bully. I felt it was my duty to protect the team from that. If he came onto the buying floor, somebody would come and get me and say, Jane, Phillips here. And I would go and get him and take him to my office. We would then talk and then I would take him to the lift because I just absolutely thought it was inappropriate in a workplace to bully people in that way and I wanted to protect my people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: I know it's shocking, isn't it? That you have to do that. Really shocking. And and the and, and the reason and the reason I was I was I got away with this, if you like, was because when he arrived, Topshop was very successful.
0: We've got to remember that's this because he got all the credit, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. Topshop was hugely successful. He bought it, and then suddenly he was the king of the high street. Yes because he had owned British homes, as well, which quite frankly, was just, yes. you know, not successful and average, to say the least. Right? Yeah. Right, I think that was kind of me there, yes. actually. <laughs> and he, you'd made that, he bought it, but then... Everything was about him, front pages, and he got knighted as well, didn't he? Yeah. For services to the retail industry. Yeah, I know.
1: Mm -hmm. Isn't
0: that incredible? Can we listen to that, you politicians? Can we please listen to that? This is Sir Philip Green knighted for services to the fashion industry, which a brand that he didn't build, but actually, you know, he was the one who knew how to pull the money from it. Just. Yeah. I, I suppose, how did it feel? There you had, you'd built this wonderful creative. I kind of, when I think of it, it's like a rhythm. It's an energy that you have. And then when you're in the flow of yourself, you're true to yourself creatively, and you had your team that were doing that with you. And then in comes Philip Green and kind of stamps all over this and tries to get into it. How did that feel, that, that change?
1: Really, really angry, to begin with, yeah. really angry. Like, how dare you? How dare you think you could come in, and and, and take over? this is ours. We made this. Yeah. You know that that was that was the 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 anger lasted for a long time. And in fact, I sometimes think the anger never ended. In a way, I I I probably spent the whole time that Philip was there being angry. And it was actually one of the reasons that. I knew I had to leave because I knew yeah. I was expending so much negative energy yeah. through this anger. Um, it was exhausting. It, it is, was exhausting, it? and also it wasn't me. You know, I would I would have meetings, and I would I would deliberately work myself up so that I would slam my fist on the table and shout at him. Well, you know, I didn't. I didn't really feel that. I just thought that's the only. That's the only thing bullies listen to. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to frighten him back into his little box again. And uh, but but so so yeah. I think anger was the real overriding emotion that I felt the whole time that he was there. I just thought, how dare you? You think that your money can come along and just buy this? Well, it can't. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to do that for you. Yeah. So and and I think everyone felt the same really. So how did you continue your
0: work then? I mean,
1: what was that like? So so to begin with, actually, to be fair, when he first took over, uh, we were successful. My mindset was, listen, I don't give a shit about you. You know, if you want to destroy this, come and destroy it. But I'm not going to be a part of it. So for the first, I think, year or two, he had a lot of problems with the other brands and left us alone, would call up once a week, and would say, you know, and we just kept him out of the business at every juncture we just kept him out of the business and i guess it was it was when he realized that top shop was the only kind of shiny thing within the group that he'd bought the sexy one exactly he then thought right i have to be seen to be a part of that and then that was when it all started to crumble really because we just didn't want him anywhere near us so you know. what happened top Tell- unpack that for me well so we would sort of argue with him we would just tell him we didn't want his help we would tell him that we didn't want his contacts we just didn't want anything to do with him and keep him off the floor keep him away from our people you know just do everything we could just to sort of keep him back and rebuff him I can remember constantly saying things like he would say to a member of myself he would say oh look at your gray hair coming through and I would just say Philip you cannot say things like that to people go and apologize to her now and he'd be like Ooh, what's the matter with her? It was almost as if he was unformed. You know, no-one had ever actually told him what was the right thing to do or the right way to behave. You know, he would still tap his ash on his second-in-command's hand when he was in the shop so that it didn't fall on the floor. Oh, my God. And the second-in-command was a man, of course. Of course, yeah. And he was
0: putting his hand up to have the ash yeah, tapped in yeah. it. I mean, my please. And equally, equally... Well, he, he thought was... he was going to get money. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he just took it. Yeah. And you never did. You fought against it. And the and the
1: final thing was that you left. Tell me the reason why. Was it to do with Kate Moss? It kind of was, mm. in, a, in a way, but only because he came to us one day and said, oh, well, I was out with Kate Moss last night and uh, she's agreed to do a collection for us for, I don't know, a million pounds or whatever it was.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just suddenly thought, shit, he's got his foot in the door. There's yeah. no getting hit him away anymore he's in that's it you know yeah. it wasn't that that I thought it was a, a bad thing or whatever to do a collection came of course it wasn't but it was just it gave him his into the business and I just thought I can't I can't be a part of this I don't want to be
0: and so, you left yes and it folded how many years later 10 years later was it yeah, yeah. I guess. how did you feel about that
1: Really sad, actually. Really sad. Really sad. Because I thought it it really was an exciting business. It it was great fun. It had a place in the British High Street. In the British culture. Yes. And I think we lack it now.
0: I think we totally... Well, we've lost it, haven't we? There isn't one. No. I don't think there is one. No. They're all the internationals. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that it was that cultural resonance of what was happening, particularly in the 90s. It just felt it had its finger on the pulse so much that designers would be going in to see what you were doing. And I thought that was just exquisite. And I think he probably thought, you know, here I am, and I'm going to milk this to the nth degree, and I'm out there being able to sit in front rows at catwalk shows because I'm fit. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I can't do the face that James got opposite <laughs> me. You know, mm-hmm. I just can't. Um, but you left, it's collapsed, and here we are. And you say, I now feel responsible. What we try to do is make the high street more compelling, more beautiful, more fun. But I'm actually, I'm guilty. I'm very much part of the problem. And the problem we're talking about now is fashion, really, and what it does to the planet.
1: Yes, I know. And I was thinking about this the other day, actually, is that back in the 80s and and early 90s, we didn't even consider the environmental impact. We knew about the social injustice that was happening, but we did not know. We didn't even think about the environmental impact. In fact, it was probably only 10 years ago that we actually began to realise that it was the second biggest polluter. I mean, obviously now, you look at it now and you think, how could I not have known? But we didn't. I
0: remember, though, when we did sort of think, because it was all starting to go offshore from the UK, yes. wasn't it? So you'd have been at the heart of that. Everybody started to go looking for cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. How can we make this cheaper? How can we produce it cheaper? Value was the only thing that was that mattered. But even then, I remember reading a book and it was saying, you've got to be careful stopping these factories. You know, We know that they're being underpaid, but actually, if we pull out now, they're not going to have a life. So it's actually good for them. Do you remember that, I, that I, argument I,
1: as well? I, I totally remember that. And I think to an extent, that's still going on. And yeah. and to an extent, it's kind of the right thing that if a factory is doing really terrible things, the first thing to do is to try to make them do the right thing. Yeah. And if they then won't do the right thing, then to move your production elsewhere. But, yeah, I mean, that race to the bottom was incredible. I think it's still going on. I mean, I think at yeah. the moment probably Bangladesh is where most things are being produced now. Because when you were there, I mean, fast fashion, had it. that was never a word that was used. When did that come in? I'm not sure because I remember doing an interview with somebody and somebody said, oh, well, you invented fast fashion, didn't you? And I sort of said, well... You know, we, we never called it fast fashion. No. And it actually wasn't that fast. You know, our, no. lead, our lead times were actually sort of two or three months. So they're nothing like they are at the moment. But you know. who broke that? All that yes. lot that
0: came on time, it went cheap, cheap, cheap. I remember feeling a sort of chest pain, actually, even watching it and thinking, where are we going to go with this? But even yes. then, even then, I didn't think we're killing our planet. No. I know. So... Fashion is obviously changing on the outside. And and you talk about everybody being on a sustainability trip. And we all talk about that. And I know you don't like the word sustainable, do you?
1: Not really. No, no. no. I think, because res- I don't think resp- it is. responsible is a better word to describe what we should be doing. Most people know this is
0: on the agenda and they can't get away with it, you know, and there's some trying to get away with it and there's some who are trying to make change happen, I think, in a decent enough way. But how much do you think it's changed on the inside in terms of, you know, really taking environmental responsibility seriously? I mean, there's still male dominance at the top. I don't don't think it's... I
1: I really don't think it's changed. In fact, a report recently into greenwashing showed that the vast majority of high street brands are making claims that are... Untrue, and that they're actually not really doing anything at all. For me, it's just like, where do we go with this? You and I created a monster here, you know that. Yes, totally. I know. We made it compelling, we made it exciting, we made people want to buy something new every day. And I think
0: that story, that marketing story, and I, I think about it, is the one that actually needs changing, the system needs changing, we need to look at the whole production, we need to look at how we're making, of course, but also... It's the stories of what aspiration is that we need to change. But then you look at social media and think, is that going to happen? I
1: don't know. I have agonised over what to do for the last probably five years since I've began to think about how can I use the experience that I have in Mm. some way to change our relationship with fashion we, we have to move it away from just thinking, oh, yes, I can buy a, a bikini for a pound and I can chuck it away. But we also have to offer something else instead. We have to offer something that is attractive or find ways of producing fashion that doesn't impact the planet as much as it currently is. So I was talking to Lee Edelcourt, you, you know, yes. wonderful Lee and she was saying it's going to be all about how we
0: recreate fabrics, whether it's, you know, she believes the answer is going to be in farming. And it's not just on food, but on fabric. So, you know, whether that's mushrooms or, you know, beetroot pulp that can make fabrics. Totally agree. And that that's Obviously a very long journey. I mean, there's so much that needs to be unpacked that I'm the same as you. I get quite panicked because it's the value equation where people think, well, I can't afford because it's not going to be cheap to buy new fabrics that we know are going to be, you know, grown or whatever. And even, you know, the second-hand market, which is growing, and, and you did a, a thing mm. with Oxfam, we'll, we'll talk about that, but it really is such a huge journey that there are times when I do feel a little bit low about it, but I have to just get back up. It's a bit like you in that buying office and protect people and go, no, let's just keep moving forward. I
1: completely agree. Something will just trigger it. You know, you'll be walking along Oxford Street and you'll see somebody laden with, with we know the ones. Yes. Bags yeah, bags, and you, you just think...
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. And the other thing I was thinking about when I grew up, we just didn't. I mean, I didn't buy anywhere near as much, and it was... I mean, we did wear a lot of vintage. I remember going down to the old American sort of vintage classics on, on, on the King's Road and so forth. But I grew up as a child where we just didn't expect new trainers. Well, we didn't have don't think the trainers were invented then as a thing. <laughs> but we just didn't expect that. And so it is a cultural narrative as well, isn't it? But we, it's a big one to swim against. I mean, we're sitting here as women that have been in the industry and there's a whole young girl market that's just under pressure to be on TikTok or social media showing the And
1: it's about self esteem too, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. New clothes make you feel better.
0: Yeah. So going back, you left. And then you went to work at Whistles. In fact, you bought a share in Whistles.
1: Didn't we, you? Yes, we, we did a management buy-in of Whistles um, after, after I left uh, Topshop. We, we kind of had a look around to see which which businesses were out there. Who's we? Myself and the kind of the key management team, because they all came with me. So oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. So so we thought, well, what is there out there? And we looked at All Saints. We looked at um, LK Bennett. Some South African guy offered us a supermarket, <laughs> and we just thought, you know what? We're Whistles is it was a brand. Such a great brand wasn't it? But it was a great brand. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, Whistles has got potential. It's gone off. It's got a little bit dated. It's tired and it's a bit sad. But we could do something with it. And also, it's kind of like a grown up top shop. And, and yeah, we, so we, yeah, so we spent eight years sort of just turning that into a business that we would want to wear, really. I, I wanted those silk
0: cargo. I don't know if they're called cargo, do you remember the silk drawstring ones I know. you did? I loved I those. In love, yes, olive green. They were great. I loved those. They were great. So you walk away from there, you left Whistles. Why did you leave there? was it- Was it men again?
1: It was partly men, it was partly the whole financial situation and also I just had begun to think by then, I can't do this anymore, this is so bad. I can't bring more clothes into the world, we don't need them, it's too much.
0: So you had that sort of epiphany, what year was that then when you just thought?
1: 2016.
0: All Right. Were the messages that were coming, were you sort of, you know, from... TV and Yeah, green. I remember do you remember
1: Stacy Dooley's documentary that yeah. she did about Brilliant. water? Yeah. yeah. There's the whole sea drying up because of the water they were using in Uzbekistan to grow con. And um I just thought oh, this, this has gotta stop. It's just so against all of my values. you know, it's mm. just wrong. It's just mm. not the right thing to do. I've mm. got to do I've got to do something else.
0: I keep quoting this wonderful parable that I heard of the two little fishes swimming through water, and you know, big fish comes along and says, Morning Boys has the water and they swim on. Then one turns to the other and goes, What's water? And it's kind of <laughs> what we were like. <laughs> very feel, good. What? But once your eyes are opened yes. and you know what you're swimming in, you can't go back. You really can't. This is when you have to really face those truths. So you walked away. And at that point, you decided. I remember it. You rang me. Sent me I am going to donate my entire wardrobe <laughs> to your Mary's Living and Giving shops for Save the Children. It was. It? it was brilliant. I remember it. I remember you pulling up outside with all these bags. And and was that like a purging? Did you feel like oh, I've got to cleanse myself? Did you feel like you had been swimming in the dirty? It old? was
1: partly that. I just thought I've got thousands of pounds worth of clothes here yeah. you know um uh, i will never wear them and also we were going to america we decided to go away for a year you know to kind of reevaluate where we were and I thought, well, instead of hanging on to them and putting them in a storage lockup or whatever, I just thought, well, no, someone else needs to get the value out of these clothes. We so. made <laughs> thousands
0: for save the children. So there's young kids somewhere in <laughs> Afghanistan or Syria that will be grateful to you, Jen. But it's lovely, isn't it, when you think like that?
1: Yeah, it was a great moment, a very freeing yeah. moment. Yes. Yeah,
0: I did the purge as well. And I remember... My ex wife walking past one of my charity shops, she said, Oh my God, you've given away my Christopher Kane for Le Boutin boots. (laughs) I want them back. And I kind of understood because they were the most special ones. It's like, We don't need. I was clearing everything out. I mean, like, seriously, stuff I was just purging and just saying, But the money we could make for somewhere else. Um, But you also did something with Oxfam. Was that around the same time? Because when I was doing Save the Children, you, I mean... No,
1: I did. The Oxfam I did when I left Topshop, actually. Somebody phoned me from Oxfam and said, oh, I hear you've got a bit of time on your hands. So we did a kind of similar... We didn't do it nearly as well as you did it, but we kind of did the the whole boutique thing, trying to make Oxfam more special and then spent a lot of time visiting the Girls' Education Projects, which it went on to fund, which was, yeah, it was an amazing time. It is wonderful
0: when you see that what money can do and how it can help the world. And uh, when you do look back at the Topshop days and the money that was made for basically one man, really, and what that did, it's like, oh man. But now you're at My Wardrobe HQ, which is centered around a rental model for fashion. And on joining, you said, I'm guilty. I'm very much part of the problem, and I'm looking for a way to repent. My God, you should have been a Catholic. You're not a Catholic, aren't
1: you? <laughs> no, my husband is though. Oh, he's told me given your that ways. Up, <laughs> has he given that up? He's given that I up. was thinking about yeah.
0: anyway. Let's repent so by actually yeah. making changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a real epiphany with rental, and and it's rental's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. You know, we've still got the deliveries, we've got mm. ozone cleaning, and which is okay, but it's not great. But it's so exciting, and if you love fashion in a way that I know you do and mm. I do. It's so exciting to be able to wear, like, an incredible embroidered Gucci suit that you would I've never got buy. That I was meant to give you that one. To let. You've got the green one. I've got the green yes.
0: one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I promise you, after this, for doing this, I will get that green You've, Gucci suit. Oh, you across. have to. And how much do you hope because you know you're you're a big name in the industry. How much do you hope that they're going to take notice of what you're doing at, at My Wardrobe in terms of other businesses doing like minded stuff?
1: Well we have found in the last couple of years because as well as having the My Wardrobe website, we also do what we call a kind of white label for other brands, which is becoming a bigger part of our business. So therefore other brands who want to do their own rental we will do it for them, and it'll basically be branded for themselves. So, so we're getting an awful lot of people oh, who are now ever, coming ever. to us who are saying, right, I need to incorporate this into my model. You know, it has to be a part of it. Everyone's realised that both resale and rental has to be a part of, of the yeah. mix of, of what they're doing, which is fantastic. It's, it's something. It's a start. We can make this happen. Yes, yes. I mean, SmartWorks, we had a delivery from Coach of, I don't know, something like 20 boxes of handbags from Coach recently at SmartWorks, which means that women who are out of work get to carry a brand-new Coach handbag when they go for their interview. I mean, what could be better than that? I love this. Just talk about SmartWorks. I oh, love SmartWorks this. is the mm. best charity. All it is is that we dress women for interviews and we give them some coaching. So yeah. they come to us for two hours. One hour is in our wardrobe. We style them and dress them and make them look absolutely beautiful with Brand-new Burberry suits, brand-new coach handbags. We get the most amazing donations from the most incredible brands, from Bowdoin, from LK Bennett, from Hobbs, from Whistles. Really nice brands. You know, We we, yeah, we, we never give them anything that's sort of you know cheap and nasty. They come to us, we dress them, and we make them feel like a million dollars, give them a bit of coaching for their interview, they go off, 70% of them get the job.
0: I love this, and I'm watching you become deeply animated because... One thing we don't want to lose is that fashion is deeply good for you. It does make you feel great. I don't care what anyone says, and we can't ignore that. We are going to dress. We're humans. We're not going to be naked. We are going to dress, and it does make us feel better if we've got that right outfit and what it does to self-esteem. I mean, one of the interesting things I heard, I remember hearing this doctor saying that he knew when people came in to his surgery by how they dressed whether they were depressed or not, because they hadn't bothered and they hadn't got the energy or the self-esteem to dress well. And actually that shows the power of what fashion yes. done well. Yes. With the oh, whole
1: oh, oh, c- completely. Can do. Completely. For you. We had a, a woman who came in on Wednesday this week, very fed up, hating her body, hating everything about herself, really nervous about this interview that she had. We found an outfit for her, which was this kind of silk printed top, a pair of khaki trousers, heels. And a beautiful handbag and a, and a jacket. And, and she looked up into the mirror and started crying. And she just said, oh, my God, you know, I look like I look like someone who's worthy. I look like someone who's going to get the job. I mean, oh, look at me. I'm, almost, I'm crying. Her, yeah, she is. Uh, Yeah. She was seen for the but, first time for yeah, a long it's while. Yeah, exactly. She was just, and suddenly, she, mm. you know, it all mm. made sense. it was mm. It was, yeah, it was a lovely moment.
0: Oh, I love stuff like that. Mm. I suppose, here's the thing, here I am as a woman in my early 60s. Oh, my God. How old are you, Jane? Don't say that. I am, yeah. I'm oh, 60 last year. 60, yeah. So here we are yeah. with a number that is with a six in it. And I suppose a couple of things come to mind. One is how, you know, that's OK for you girls. You've got your repentant time. You can look back and you can say, but what about us 20-somethings coming into business today? what about us 20-somethings who are out there in this world?
1: How would we guide them? I certainly wouldn't really advise anyone to go into the fashion industry mm. as it stands mm. now. Not the, the sort of the high street fashion industry, because I think it's a very, very different place. I think most of the businesses are still run by men. Mm-hmm. I think there's still quite a bullying culture, unfortunately. I would say... Yes, it's a very, very exciting industry to be in, but I think you need to find new ways. You need to sort of push those boundaries between fashion and science and start to sort of experiment and find ways of doing it that satisfies your creative urge, but also satisfies that sort of feeling that we're not destroying our universe. Find a way of doing it that actually works for you. The trouble is is that it's very difficult to do that and to make a living out of it
0: at the moment yeah at yes, the moment it is, yes isn't it and i suppose we get to that question of you know making a living how much do we need like when you thought about those billions that philip green and you're like H- really really you know, so how much do we need, she says, forever. <laughs> so where's your joy and your excitement now today?
1: I think I'm actually becoming a bit of a communist, Mary. <laughs> I think the whole capitalist system has got to And Anyway, but that's another story. We could talk about that for hours. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the question is, where do you get that excitement, that thrill?
1: Where, where do you feel, yeah, I'm here now. This is my world now, and it feels good. I think the excitement I get, I still get, is being with other creative people. I love to be surrounded by creative Same people up. having ideas. I mean, it, yeah, it, really, it really is really the best. Is best. Yeah. And um, I suppose those
0: creative people that we need to be th- uh, the ones who will get us out of this mess.
1: Yeah, isn't so. it? I really hope so. Yeah. It's a lot on their shoulders
0: and ours. We're still here, love. <laughs> We're still here. So the million dollar question I ask you after this is because you come in and go. Am I a misfit, Mary? <laughs> or Just listen. I know. To you. I
1: know. I was. Do I was, you think of yourself? I was. Now. I thought I was slightly As, affronted. I thought, does she think I'm a misfit? But yeah, yeah, I think I am actually. I think I am. I've, <laughs> I've never really felt that I'm the type of person that would do that job or, or would do what I've done. But yeah.
0: That was the wonderfulness of you, is that you weren't, you didn't fit in with the system, whether there's women who were the buyers, who did the glamour, <laughs> posho, itch to the the male power that was at the top of it. All the time you went with your heart and with your creativity. And someone said to me, what was Jane like? I said, oh my God, she's wonderful, she's generous, she's kind, but she's steely with heart. <laughs> Do you think that's fair enough? Do you think that's fair You are. You get it done, don't that's you? Oh, cool. oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah I get it She's done. now drawing a little tears going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's back <laughs> on. And to just lastly, hope. Do you have hope for the future? I do, actually. So do
1: I. I do. I think you have to. One of the things I do, we invest in these small fashion businesses that are going to be the future of the industry. So they're the people that do microbial weaving to create leather, they're people that grow cotton hydroponically using 90% less water. They're the future. You know, they're these incredible young business people who have just thought, it cannot go on, but... I can do something about it, yeah. and, and things like that give you hope. Well, see, I've just got this image of you now. This is your new tribe, <laughs> isn't it?
0: <clears throat> protect them. I'll protect you from the... What was that line from Frankie Goes to <laughs> Hollywood? That used to play in Top Shop. Do you remember that? <laughs> all, all the time, time. <laughs> all the
1: time.
0: <laughs> James Shepherdson, it's been an absolute pleasure, 40 years on. I love you, kid. It's been a delight. Thanks for listening, and I leave you with this. Don't you dare, having listened to this podcast and be inspired, think that the care of this world is always someone else's job. It's not. It's yours. Every one of your actions counts. Make it happen.